right, welcome everybody to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Taylor. I'm the Managing Director of Travel, Hospitality, and Retail. And I am joined, as always, by Andrea Stokes, our um, practice lead for the hospitality industry. Hello, Andrea. Hello. And Sarah Baggett, who is our intrepid producer slash marketing person for these podcasts and everything else, and a, a general uh, you know, uh, utility infielder for the travel practice. Hello, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Okay. Well, I, I thought we'd start off this this um, podcast with talking a little bit about um, a topic that I know Andrea is interested in, and we all should be interested in. It makes a lot of headlines these days, but um, something called generative AI or artificial intelligence and how that relates to the travel industry. So, Andrea, what uh, what can you tell us about generative AI in the travel industry? Well, I'm sure everyone is, you know, following chat GPT and what um, what's happened over the past several months in terms of ChatGPT uh, attracting millions of users in a very, very short time and following how, um, how ChatGPT and other generative AI tools are being used for business in general. But I think in, in travel, you know, there's a lot of buzz around um, using generative AI for marketing, uh, writing, you know, a lot of writing, like writing promotions or writing email marketing pieces or, um, you know, perhaps uh, travel companies using it to uh, write uh, blog posts and, and things like that. But I think the, the main impact on the consumer that is uh, happening is really looking at how uh, generative AI is being used for travel planning and research. So companies like Expedia, for example, are working on uh, using generative AI uh, during the booking process and sort of having having a way for the consumer to more easily uh, research, search for hotels, um, search for destinations, right? Um, you know, maybe enter in the type of trip that they want to take and what they're looking for into an AI bot, for example, and having, uh, having it, it, it produce results, right? Search results uh, for the, the consumer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, so that's an OTA Expedia, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the hotel companies, you know, and even the airlines, are going to be using a generative AI uh, for interactions with the consumer. You know, we we at JD Power we already um, track uh, chat, the use of online chat in customer service interactions. So we in our customer service practice here at JD Power, we have a whole team that are are just focused on looking at benchmarks around online chat for customer service and, uh, you know, how consumers feel about that. Are consumers getting good service when they're using online chat? So uh, a lot of generative AI, of course, is already being used there. But it'll just be interesting to see how hotel companies and airlines are use, start to use generative AI on their own websites and also in their mobile apps, and how that um, how that evolves. So, 
we're, we'll be tracking that here at JD Power. We are reintroducing our travel app and web uh, studies this year, which will focus on the largest airlines and the largest uh, hotel chains. Uh, and, you know, how uh, consumers are looking at their experience using apps and websites, uh, what they think, um, you know, how how apps and websites perhaps have evolved post-pandemic. You know, we have not conducted these studies since before the pandemic. So we're excited about uh, starting to uh, look at the user experience again. So this might be too deep of a question, but what is the difference between generative AI and a regular algorithm search that might happen on Google? Do you, do you have any insight into that? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, algorithms are also can be based on artificial intelligence, right? But I think the generative AI, it's sort of this more rapid learning, right? So as, as you know, you may be typing something into chat GPT, and then it provides a response. And then you take that response and you respond using that information. And chat GPT kind of knows then where you're going. And then it, it learns where, what you're looking for and where you're going with your, with whatever you're looking to do, for example, and then it, it responds again. Um, and so there have been a lot of articles about, you know, the experience that people have had with ChatGPT and some of the negative experiences. Like, I, I think there was a story about a reporter was using it and, you know, was going back and forth with the ChatGPT tool and it sort of dived deeper into his life and ended up like advising that he leave his wife or something like that. So there, there's a sort of a dark side to this. Um, I guess so. I haven't heard of any any of that in the travel industry. Just, just like, you know. <laughs> maybe they just turn that part down when they talk about travel recommendations. I want to book a hotel, you know. So yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we know in other industries that that first contact resolution is so important. So it'll be interesting to see if this generative AI sort of helps that along. You know, improves those those touch points and and gets the answers faster. Uh, It'd be interesting to see what happens with satisfaction with that. Right, right. There's the there's the customer service part of it, and there's also the um, sort of how do you help the consumer, you know, narrow down decision making. Right. You know, there's so many options for travel, and I do see these these tools, these generative AI tools, helping consumers with decision making, and uh, you know, maybe helping the consumer narrow down the the choices maybe narrow down um, uh, destinations, uh, options, right? And that kind of thing, you know? And then of course, as I mentioned, the, the travel industry, I believe is already using tools like this for marketing purposes. So again, you know, uh, creating a creating an ad copy or email copy, for example, uh, for marketing, so. All right, well, thanks. That is Interesting and, I don't know, sometimes scary, really, when you think about it, how AI might be able to take over the world. So anyway, on to our next topic. Um, uh, Andrea, this is also one for you. Uh, some of the news articles I've read recently about the hospitality industry is uh, all around pricing and uh, the daily room rates and how they're moving or not moving, uh, as the case may be. And uh, so, Andrea, what, uh, what kind of update do you have on you know, the macro uh, hotel industry and room rates. 
Yes. So STR just released uh, its analysis for the month of May 2023 compared to May of 2022. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, occupancy is pretty flat, um, even a a little bit down uh, compared to last May, uh, which is interesting given, you know, how much of a surge there was in travel last year in 2022. But that said, uh, STR did report that room rates are are still higher. So room rates in the U.S. in May of 23 were higher than May of 2022. And that's on top of the already high room rates we saw in 2022. So uh, it's interesting, you know, is, is hotels do not seem to be uh, you know, reducing rates to stimulate demand and occupancy. Uh, it seems like, you know, they're trying to hold rate as much as possible. And we did see this last year as well. It's just that there was much higher demand last year. So, you know, I was surprised that occupancy was pretty flat. Um, and it may be that may be inflation talking and, affecting hotel demand, affecting travel demand in general. So, you know, be interested to see what happens um, in the month of June, right? Which is, you know, sort of the beginning of summer. All right. And what's what's your prediction? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know, I I do predict um, as busy as the airports are and the roads are and, and some hotels, I do see this summer perhaps as, uh, you know, not as, um, you know, we won't see as heavy travel demand as we did last year. Uh, it'll be the same or even maybe down. Um, and I, I do think that that's really, uh, because of inflation, right. And the effects have just sort of compounded over the last months and consumers are just spending more money on, on, you know, necessities. So discretionary spending like travel, um, is, you know, is sort of, I, I think, falling by the wayside a little bit. Um, so, you know, it'll still be a busy summer. I think it will be, you know, perhaps not as crazy as last summer was, but we'll see. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, you know, on that same topic, Andrea, you've got the um, syndicated hotel study or benchmark study at J.D. Power. Um, I believe it's going to release in a few weeks. What can you tell us about that? Yes. So our 2023 Hotel Guest Satisfaction Awards will be released on July 26th. Uh, We've redesigned the study a little bit for 2023, and we've added, uh, you know, questions to sort of track some interesting trends going on in the hotel industry, such as hoteliers installing EV chargers at their hotels. So we're starting to track uh, guests who are, uh, you know, looking for EV chargers at hotels or actually charging during their hotel stay. Uh, we're also looking at um, things like the use of um, meal delivery and Grubhub and and those types of things uh, during hotel stays. So you know, you're staying in a hotel and you want to order a meal um, through Grubhub, um, you know, and and how the hotel sort of helps facilitate those types of deliveries. And and then we're also looking at, of course, back to mobile apps. We've um, 
we've added some questions around all the different ways that guests are using uh, mobile apps and sort of trying to track how mobile apps are going to be evolving over the next few years. Uh, you know, some newer, you know, newer functionality that mobile apps seem to have or, you know, that we know the hotel companies are interested in adding. We're tracking that now. So I'm very excited about the changes that we made and, and all of the updates. Um, and the idea is that we will in, we will release the 2023 results in July. Uh, we've already kicked off our 2024 um, study. So we are now surveying guests uh, about their hotel stays uh, for our 2024 uh, releases that um, the first one will come up in October of this year. So very exciting time. All right. Andrea, does this study take into account if anyone, if a guest considered an alternative lodging, uh, you know, maybe an Airbnb or something like that? Yes, Sarah, that's a great question. Um, yes, uh, we we have tracked that in the past and we continue to track uh, the usage of short-term rentals uh, by hotel guests. So of course we're, we're starting with hotel guests, but we, we still find that a lot of hotel guests are also using short-term rentals. Uh, not so much to the, to the level that uh, they were in the past, uh, and especially during the pandemic, but we, we do still track that. And, you know, for the guests who are using short-term rentals, we do ask a few questions about their experience. All right. Thank you, Andrea. And you'd mentioned uh, charging stations, which uh, brings up the last topic of this podcast, uh, which is the what's come to be known as the surprise EV rental, uh, which actually is a thing. I've actually had... Uh, several news media outlets asked me about this phenomenon, and I wasn't too sure it was actually happening until someone came to my house this past week, and not knowing that I, you know, involved with the uh, JD Power rental car study, started telling me about their experience. They had uh, contacted a rental car company, a well-known rental car brand, um, and picked their lowest-priced vehicle. Uh, you know, you'll get something, you know, like a, you know, a, Ford Fiesta or something or something similar. And when they got to the dealer, to the, the rental car facility, they were assigned an EV and they had never driven an EV before. And uh, they started driving off the lot, you know, after a little bit of uh, handholding from the folks uh, at the rental car company, drove off and they were going from Brooklyn to Boston. And just as they're on the roads in Brooklyn, they realized that they only have a half a charge uh, in on the car, uh, in the car battery. And so the projected mileage was going to be 100 miles, which, of course, it's a little bit longer than 100 miles from Brooklyn to Boston. So they called up the rental car company and said, hey, you know, this thing doesn't look like it's going to make it. Uh, can we come back and get another one that has fully charged? And they said, no, no, you'll make it. You'll be fine. Just keep going. And, of course, they didn't make it to their destination. Uh, they had downloaded the app. They were looking for recharging stations along the way. Uh, and which led into a lot of problems. You know, one uh, didn't have the right connector. Um, there was a charging station for for sure, but didn't wasn't able to. They weren't able to charge their particular vehicle. Another one was at a hotel, as Andrea mentioned, but was for guests only. Uh, the next one was in a private parking lot that they couldn't get into, and uh, they eventually ran the car out of a charge, and uh, parked it in a Honda dealership uh, in a small town. 
and uh, called up the Honda dealership and left them a message saying, hey, you, you might find a strange car in your parking lot, and this is why. And they got an Uber and Lyft and went on and rented another gas-powered vehicle to get to their destination. Um, but the car rental company did not refund the money uh, and did not have any alternatives. Uh, and then I also you know, noted that the rental car company had to go get that EV somehow, which was completely dead and immobile. And it, really, you know, I, you know, since Google searched these things, and sure enough, there are plenty of stories out there just like that, that people are having that surprise EV rental. And if you're not careful, if you don't know what you're getting into, it can be a hassle. Um, the infrastructure, as we've seen and heard our guests on this podcast talk about, for the EV experience are not exactly as robust as they you might expect them to be, especially in certain areas of the country. Northeast Quarter might be an exception, uh, but these people were traveling in the Northeast Quarter and still had problems. Uh, I compare it to when you were in the days of the covered wagon that you had to plan for, you know, where are the water holes and can I get to that water hole and will the water hole have water in it? Uh, and I think that's exactly the problem that, that they've run into in the EVs. So the infrastructure isn't there. So I guess the word to the wise here is that if you uh, haven't had an EV and you are planning a long trip with it uh, and you never have experienced how to handle an EV, it might be better to go back immediately back and get a gas-powered car at this point. Eventually, we're going to solve these problems, I think. Um, but they certainly aren't solved right now. So don't let this surprise EV be part of your vacation plans, I guess is the, <laughs> is the, uh, the word for the day. Well, and Mike, we know that like the exposure to driving an EV can increase consideration, but that range anxiety and learning curve of downloading the app, figuring out how to charge it, that's a pretty big barrier to entry. Um, do you feel like the rental car companies are going to have to standardize how they advertise to customers what type of vehicle they're getting? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that they, they're they eventually going to learn their lesson here very quickly. This is like any new adoption to me, new technology adoption. There's going to be fits and starts and there's going to be learning curves. I mean, what I and I think I've actually on this podcast talked about it before, is that when something goes wrong with a rental car, uh, people just walk away from it, just as this couple had done. I mean, they left it. I mean, and they, they, there wasn't anything they could do other than call a tow truck. And they weren't about to, you know, incur that cost because a rental car company didn't charge it sufficiently. And it told them, oh, no problem. You'll meet, you get to your destination. So they didn't feel any compunction to actually do anything with that rather expensive asset that they left in a parking lot uh, in a small town. Now, that's going to create a labor hassle for the rental car company. They have to go get it. And it's not exactly something you could just you know, drive two guys out there and one hops in the car and drives it back because it's completely dead and it has to be moved somehow. Uh, so I think that uh, very rapidly, you know, the rental car companies are going to learn that there are certain things that they need to do and certain things they in situations they where they should not rent an EV. And I do believe they are trying to drive adoption and trial, just as you pointed out, Sarah. Uh, but I think this is the wrong way to go about it to kind of put these people in a very unfamiliar situation that in some cases might be quite dangerous. If you ran out of juice in the middle of a, you know, I-95, which is a very uh, well-traveled, busily traveled road uh, out here in the East Coast, I don't think that would be a pleasant experience. And then again, how do you get that EV back? So anyway, words to the wise, as I've said. Well, thank you very much for listening to our travel podcast. If you're interested in the things that J.D. Power does, you can go to jdpower.com. 
go in the upper right-hand corner, look at businesses, and then go scroll down to travel and hospitality and click on that. And you'll see all the things that we've been doing and some updates and some interesting stuff that Sarah Baggett actually uploads um, that uh, you guys can take a look at. And um, if you've got any questions, you can leave them with us. There's a way to contact and reach out to us. And we will see you on the next travel podcast. This is Michael Taylor from J.D. Power. Thank you. Thank you.